Good morning. So good to see you back with us. I know that it's been a trying few months, but it looks like our crowd is slowly starting to come back in. I certainly understand our folks that are watching online that aren't quite comfortable enough to get back out or maybe more vulnerable. And so we've asked them to, if they would, please just stay and watch online. But it is good to see you here. And hopefully over the next few weeks, we can kind of get back into our normal routine. But as we've talked about, maybe leaving behind the parts of normal that maybe weren't so good and starting a new normal with some new good things. So appreciate you being here. Um, you will know, or you will be excited to know, I'm sure, that I can see you now. Uh, that's, that's a good thing. Uh, before, when I wore my glasses, I could see what I had written down really well, and I'd look at you and you'd be uh, blurry. And so the eye doctor told me, well, the only thing left would be the B word. And I said, I understand. I knew what he meant. You know what he means, bifocals. And uh, so here we are. I can see you well. I can see what, I'm, what I've written down very well, but it also means I'm getting very old. So um, <laughs> thank you for being here this morning. I was going to have a bunch of props to start with this morning, but then moving them from one place to the other just didn't seem to be, uh, be something that would be easy. So I, I didn't do that. But I want you to imagine this morning that I've got an apple. And I tell you that this apple represents the Trinity. You've got the skin on the outside, you've got the seeds on the inside, but it's all an apple. Or let's say I have a glass of water, and that represents the Godhead. The water is God, but depending on the temperature, you can make the water a solid, like Jesus, or a gas, like the Holy Spirit. Or let's say I have an egg. That egg is three parts. You've got the shell, you've got the white, you've got the yolk, but it's still all an egg, Right? Remember boomboxes? Greg does. Remember boomboxes? Greg used to carry one around like this and break dance. Boomboxes were three parts, right? You had a radio, you had a, uh, you had a CD player, and you had a cassette player, but it was still all a boombox. Or maybe a three-leaf clover. You have three leaves that represent God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, but they're all connected to the stem. I could use any one of those illustrations this morning to help us better understand the Godhead, but you know what? I'd be wrong because none of those illustrate the Godhead adequately. Because you cannot illustrate the Godhead adequately using an object lesson. You just can't. The Trinity is, is pretty difficult to understand, but we're still going to try this morning. All object lessons fall well short. In preparing this lesson, I sometimes will kind of type in on a Google search, you know, the, the title of my lesson, maybe to try to find a perfect illustration. And so I just typed in, you know, illustrations on the Trinity. And you know how at the bottom of Google, it'll give you alternative searches? The first alternative search said simple sermons on the Trinity. And I thought, that's a lie. No way that's true, right? I didn't even click on it because I knew that that was impossible because it's just really not simple. So I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. I'm going to ask you to fasten your seatbelt. Maybe a little bumpy, but I think we'll get through this and hopefully help you to understand the Trinity better. You know, there's a story about a theology professor who was really hard. Uh, a lot of kids that took his class ended up failing because he was such a difficult teacher. And so he told the students, instead of taking the final, you can accept an alternative. Well, they didn't need to hear the alternative. I mean, his tests were so hard, they knew the final would be difficult. They decided to accept whatever the alternative was. And so the professor told him, the alternative is this. you got to come up with a new heresy. And all of them failed. Because as the theology professor 
proved over hundreds of years, there is no new heresy. Man has continually come up with ways to twist and pervert scripture and doctrine in order to make it fit some sort of preconceived notion or idea. There's nothing new under the sun, as Solomon said, and that certainly applies to the doctrine of the Godhead. Although there are those who would accuse you and me of heresy for believing in the Trinity, you realize that? There are those who would say that we are polytheistic, that we believe in three gods, not just one, which is not true. There are some who buy into a concept called modalism, which states that there are different forms of God, and that's not exactly true either. It's kind of like the steam, liquid, and you know, uh, uh, solid illustration that applies to water. Then there are those who suggest that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all parts of God or pieces of God, and that's not true. Some who would say that the Trinity is a farce or a heresy would try to illustrate it with a mathematical equation. They would say one plus one plus one equals three. And they would use that illustration or that mathematical equation to apply it to us and say, see, you believe in three different gods. But I would suggest that those of us who believe in the Trinity, if you're going to put it in terms of a mathematical equation, would believe one times one times one equals one. We could look at it like this. There is one God and only one God. The Trinity is God existing in three persons. All are equal and eternal and all are distinct yet acting in unity. Now, I think we should say a word about the word before we go any further, because there are some, even Christians, who believe that we are unbiblical because Trinity is not found in Scripture. The word's not. The concept certainly is. Did you know the word Sunday is not found in Scripture either? Did you know atheist isn't found in Scripture? Did you know that the, 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 the concept of pornography is not ever denounced in Scripture anywhere? So we understand that maybe if something's not mentioned in Scripture, the concept may be there. Even though it's not explicitly talked about, if the word's not there, the concept certainly is. And that's the case when it comes to the Godhead or the Trinity. Another word associated with Trinity is one I just mentioned, Godhead. That's often used in reference to the totality of both the nature and personality of the Creator. And we could sum it up this way. The Trinity is all about three main things. God alone is God. God exists simultaneously in three personalities. And all three personalities are equally and fully divine. Look, God is not a pie chart. God is not a third Jesus a third and the Holy Spirit a third. That's not how this works. God is triune, another word that talks about the unity and diversity of God. It combines two important aspects. Triune means unity and diversity, and that's really the most important thing to keep in mind going forward. When you think of Trinity, don't think of pieces or personalities. Think of it this way. The Father is God, Jesus the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. One in essence, three in person. But, as I stated a moment ago, God is God alone. And I know that doesn't seem all that revolutionary, but if we're going to understand a concept as difficult maybe as the Trinity, we have to start with the simple. And so we start there with oneness. God is God alone. You know, when I was coaching basketball, I had some absolute truths. And one of those absolute truths applied to defense. If you cut off the head, the body will follow. And I preach that to our kids over and over again. 
If you cut off the head, the body will follow. So when it comes to defense, before we get into zone versus man or whatever, we start with how we're going to defend really the most important player on the floor for the offense, which is the point guard, the person who is the floor general, the one who is running the show. If you cut him off, the rest of the body should follow. Should, not always. Sometimes the other team's just better. It doesn't matter what you do. But by and large, I felt like, not to be cruel, but I felt like if I could make a 16, 17, 18-year-old kid have to make a decision every time he came down the floor, I like our chances. I felt like if that point guard, that young boy, had to make a decision under duress, I think we could probably do pretty good. We might have an opportunity to win that game. I could talk basketball all day. My point is, you cut off the head, the body will follow. In terms of the Godhead, you do away with God, then you have nothing. It doesn't matter what else comes next. There is no essence. There is no personality. You have nothing else if you cut off the head. God is where it all starts. And actually, God is where it all stops as well. There is no use discussing the concept of Trinity if you're not going to talk about God first and foremost. You might remember when God commissioned Moses to go to the Pharaoh and tell him to let his people go. Moses kind of objected and said, well, what if they ask me who sent me? And God said, you tell them this. I am who I am. I am has sent me to you. That statement points to the self-existent nature of God. He always has been. He always will be. He is eternal in nature. In Isaiah 45 and 5, it says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I mean, that's a discussion ender, isn't it? Search is over. You don't have to look any further. God is God. That's it. Period. Exclamation point. The first commandment given to Moses and the people was this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. God is God, and there is no other God worthy of our worship because no other God can create a universe. No other God can create a you. No other God can create a you and sustain you. No other God can raise that creation back from the dead. And no other God can destroy what he has created with a flood. God and God alone is omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. And look at what Paul writes. 1 Corinthians 8, for even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. So, we start with God. Anytime we're trying to make sense of something as complex as the Trinity, we start with the simple and work our way up from there. Same is true with this. Although God is far from simple, we start with Him instead of trying to tackle everything all at once. Sarah Bailey doesn't start her kindergartners off with calculus. At least I don't think you do. You start with 1 plus 1 equals 2. Same here. We start with oneness and we build from there. We don't start with higher math. We start with the basics. Here's another list for you. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are distinct persons. Each person is fully God. There is only one God. So, the Father is God. Notice Philippians 1 and 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. Titus 2 and 13 reads, Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. God the Father. Jesus is God. Then the Holy Spirit is God. Acts 5 tells us this. 
Starting in verse 3, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Once you notice that Peter says to Ananias, he had lied to the Holy Spirit. And that by lying to the Holy Spirit, he had also lied to who? To God. John 1 and 1 states, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now really, the theme of this morning is Jesus' part in the Godhead. And John 1 1 certainly shows us that, right? So does John 10 and 30. I and the Father are one, Jesus says. How about John 8, 58? Jesus makes a similar statement to the one that God made to Moses when he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. In this statement, Jesus is claiming the same timeless existence that God did. He is the self-existent one, just like God is. Never a beginning, never an end. Matthew 3, 16 and 17 reads, After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You ever notice that all three members of the Godhead were present at Jesus' baptism? Jesus was certainly there. And as he rose out of the water, God spoke to him, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And then the Holy Spirit came and descended on him as a dove. All three present, all three distinct, yet all three one. So we move from oneness to threeness. And believe it or not, threeness is an actual word. I looked it up. And the standard dictionary defines threeness as a word Chris uses to describe the Trinity. So there you have it. Actually, threeness is a word. You don't really find it in Scripture just like you don't find Trinity in Scripture, but the concept is certainly there. And perhaps the best passage to sum it all up is what we call the Great Commission. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all distinguished from one another. They are distinct persons. We baptize someone in the name of all three because they're all deity, right? We would never think of baptizing someone in the name of Eddie Dunn. Although he's a great guy, he's not deity. We baptize someone in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because they're all deity and not one is inferior to the other. They're all on the same level. And notice that the plural isn't used here. It's not in the names of, it's in the name of, because while they are three distinct personalities, they all form one God. This can only be true if they are one in essence. The fact that God sent his only begotten son into the world means that there is a distinction to be made between the father and the son. And after the son returned to the father, who was left to guide the apostles? The Holy Spirit, right? So, we talk about threeness. Here's what we're talking about. Mark 13, 32. But of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Do you see the distinction that's made? The Father knows things that the Son does not, at least while the Son was walking the earth. I believe the Son knows it now because he's with the Father in heaven. But at the time, there was a distinction. The Father knew things the Son didn't. 
In Galatians 4 and 6, Paul writes, Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit and the Father are distinct and separate. Confused yet? It can be rather difficult to grasp all this. It can turn your brain to oatmeal if you're not careful. Understanding this is kind of like uh, teaching my kids about March Madness, the NCAA tournament. You know what I'm talking about? I'm going to pick on Zoe for just a second here. She loves that. Every year in March, there's something called March Madness where all, I say all, 60-something teams come together and they have this big tournament to determine who the national champion is in Division I basketball. Some of you are looking at me as confused as when I was talking about the Trinity, but those of you who know basketball know what I'm talking about. And from the time my kids were young, I made them fill out a bracket. And so I would all give them a bracket, Libby, the three kids, and then at the end, we'd determine who had the closest bracket to being right, and we'd get a little prize of some kind. Libby somewhat understood NCAA March Madness. Keely somewhat understood. Zane certainly understood. Zoe, not so much, maybe. And I remember one particular year, she picked St. Louis to win it all because she loved the Cardinals. (laughs) Now, some of you, again, are like, I don't see why that's funny. Cardinals are a major league baseball team, uh, not an NCAA basketball team. So we had that discussion. Funny thing was, Zoe usually got more right than anybody, but uh, she started choosing based on the colors of their uniforms, which was probably, probably good too. But if, if the Trinity is hard to understand, then certainly we can gather that the idea of three distinct personalities making up one God maybe on the surface sounds right and true. And we know that as an academic exercise, that's what it's supposed to be like. That's what Scripture teaches. But wrapping your mind around it's a little more difficult, isn't it? In the practical, it's a little more difficult for us to understand. But if oneness and threeness were not confusing enough, there's another concept, and that is three in oneness. And definitely, this is a scriptural concept. There are sometimes in Scripture things we run across, verses we run across, Scripture that we run across that are called Trinitarian statements. Now, let me give you a few of them. First of all, we find in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, a Trinitarian statement. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is a Trinitarian statement. It's a three-in-oneness statement. All three personalities of the Godhead are mentioned here by Paul. And while he mentions each of them specifically, he also mentions them on equal footing with one another. Another Trinitarian statement, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. So like Paul, Peter mentions all three personalities of the Godhead. And by doing so, he intonates equality among all three. And then there's Genesis 1.26. Maybe one of the most beautiful Trinitarian statements because it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Did you catch what God said? Let us make man in our image. Who's the us? Who's the our? The Godhead. All three were present at creation. All three were present in the creation of mankind. 
the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They were all there. They were all present. And isn't, isn't it exciting and maybe even somewhat confusing still that in some way, shape, or form we bear the image that we are in some spiritual sense made in their image? In the beginning of this lesson, I mentioned several object lessons that some try to use to define the Trinity and how they all fall short. One that is commonly used, and maybe you've heard it, is that of a pretzel. And so a pretzel is one long piece of dough that is shaped into this form. And the three holes make it a pretzel. You take away any of the holes, you no longer have a pretzel. In fact, I read an article about a monk many years ago who wanted to describe or illustrate the Trinity to a bunch of kids in the village. And he used a pretzel for his illustration, saying that this is a good object lesson for the Trinity because you have one long piece of dough and you form it into this shape and that makes it a pretzel. If it doesn't have that shape or if it doesn't have those holes, it's no longer a pretzel. Perhaps my favorite object illustration for the Trinity is space matter itself. Scientist Dr. Henry Morris notes that the universe is Trinitarian by design. It consists of three things, matter, space, and time. And each one of these three are Trinitarian in and of themselves. So you have matter, which equals mass plus energy plus motion. You have space, which is length plus height plus breadth. And you have time, which is past, present, and future. That's kind of neat, isn't it? You have the universe, which is Trinitarian by design. And then you have the elements that are Trinitarian also. But it still falls short. Because every object illustration does. Every object lesson eventually falls short because none of them can quote-unquote prove the Godhead. In order to grasp what God wants us to understand concerning the concept of the Trinity, we go to Him, we go to His Word, we start at the base level with oneness, we move from oneness to threeness to three in oneness, and then we must at the end of it all maybe even admit this, that we won't always understand. There are some things that are just hard to grasp. There are many things in Scripture that we are intended to understand, to grasp, and to apply. There are foundational principles that we all should understand. There are other things that are a little more difficult, and it's okay to be honest. It's okay to say, I've tried my best. I'm still working on this. I don't have it all figured out. And certainly when it comes to the Godhead, this is not something that we'll figure out in one setting, but hopefully we've come to a little better understanding. Look, all of us have one of these. I say all of us, most of us. This is a God box. And virtually all of us have a God box. It contains our thoughts, our beliefs, our ideas about God. And you know why we contain it in a box? Because it's easy to measure that way. It's easy for us to understand when we can fit God in a box then it's easier to wrap our finite minds around who he is and what he does, right? Now, some people fill the God box with things that aren't even scriptural. Some people fill their box with things that are absolutely scriptural. And what they believe about God is right and true, but they've limited 
God by putting him in a box because you cannot confine God. You cannot mark off boundaries when it comes to God. We like to confine him to a box because he's easier to manage, but you cannot manage God. And at some point, we kind of have to throw our hands up and say, you know what? I'm doing the best I can with what I got. Help me, God, to understand you better. The Trinity, the Godhead, if it's anything, it's a box cutter. Because it shows us that God cannot be confined, that he cannot be limited to a box, that he cannot be limited to our thoughts and our feelings and our emotions. If we're going to ever attempt to understand God and the three distinct personalities that make up God, then we're going to have to let him have his own space, aren't we? We have to keep him out of the box. And so what I encourage you to do this morning is to throw away your box. Throw it away. You don't need it. Embrace God. Embrace all of Him, even the parts of Him that you don't necessarily understand, believing that He is God, that you are not, and therefore you will follow His will, even when it's hard to understand, even when it's unknown, because He is in control. Only He can make a universe, only He can create a you, and only He can raise you up in the last day. Let's pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for another day which affords us with another opportunity to worship you, to be together as a church family, whether virtually or together under one roof. We pray, God, that as we go forward from this day and throughout our week, that we seek to know you better and love you deeper, that we can throw away our box, that we can let you be in control, that we can honestly admit the things that we don't know, that we are still continuing to strive to know you in everything, in every way. Help us, God, to be dedicated servants, to look more like Jesus to the world around us so that we can make the maximum impact. We love you, God, and it's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Need the prayers of your church family this morning? Do you need our love and support? You ready to study the Bible with someone? You ready to know what the next step is? Maybe you know what the next step is and you're ready to put on Christ in baptism and begin a daily walk with God. I don't know what your need is this morning, but we'd love to help you. Clinton's going to lead us in a song. If we can, we welcome you to come forward as we stand and as we...